Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Coming up on the payoff, Gentry Jones is somebody who has been on my radar for a long time. About a year and maybe a year and a half ago, I had Casey Scott on this podcast. He's a news personality in Utah. He's the man, sober guy. And through following Casey, I noticed that he had this woman, Gentry Jones, on his podcast. And she carries an incredible message. She's hilarious. She's developed a huge, a huge presence on social media. And of course, she's sober. And I feel like, in my opinion, the more women out there like her, uh, the better. The more people out there, the better. But I, I do feel like there is a void there for women that are just being open and honest and vulnerable on the level that she is doing it. And uh, at Life with Gentry, you got to give her a follow. She doesn't need it, but you'd probably do. Um, and uh, yeah, this is an awesome conversation. One alcoholic to another. And two, two people who do recovery, two totally different ways, but Clearly, it's working for her. I, I hope. I hope today it's working for me. But first, Kevin Souza. So you are. Uh, so when did you start drinking? Like you, you grew up in in Washington, right? Washington State, and uh, in a smaller town, correct? Yes. Um, there's only about 3,000 people in the town, and in, it's on the east side of Washington State, so a lot of farms and wineries and very agricultural-driven. How far, like, just to give people, like, an idea, how far are you from, like, Seattle or something like that? I am two and a half hours from Seattle. Okay, and is that, like, the biggest, like, city close to you? There's another city, but not, like, like a Seattle. Cause but I know, I know Washington a little bit. I've been to Spokane and, and Pullman and, and Seattle. So I know, I know the area a little bit. It's pretty cool out there. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's nice that we get all the seasons. I mean, Pacific Northwest is beautiful. So, um, and we are a lot hotter on this side. So we get like really hot summers and, um, yeah, it's a, and, and we'll get the snow. It's a, Seattle's a little bit more like doesn't change a lot, but it's always a little bit colder or rainier. Where here we get like the hot summers and then the and then the cold winters. And so, what kind of kid were you growing up? You were like me. You were the youngest of three, the baby mm-hmm. of the family, and uh, you were also like me. You were a total pe- uh, people pleaser from from a young age. But what was what was growing up for you like? Oh man, growing up, I feel like was. We were the all-American family. Both my parents are teachers. My dad is a basketball coach. Um, we all played sports. We all were um, involved in different activities in school. So I was in like ASB, which is like the um, what is that? What does that even sound for? I can't even think about that. <laughs> but uh, like student body. <laughs> um, but you were volleyball. So, you were fast pitch. Uh, bas- yeah. And you played basketball too. Right. Yeah. Volleyball, fast pitch and basketball. And um, as a freshman was on varsity for all three sports, um, just like very athletic. Um, Always wanted to do drama. And so I quit volleyball my junior year to um, join drama. And um, how did that make you feel like like going out there? Because for me, I think that's part of the reason I do this. And I see what you do as a life coach and you're very visible uh, on on social media, and and you there's a performance art to what you're doing. Uh, so right. I, as a kid, when you started to do drama, did, did was that sort of intoxicating for you? Oh, and I loved it. It just wasn't the world I was raised in, so it was really overwhelming. Um, I, my comfort zone was sports, and my family's comfort zone was sports, and so for me to be like, I don't want to, I don't want to play a sport. I want to do drama. Was was like not normal for my family. Uh, <laughs> But I loved it, and I always, like, as a kid, was like, I'm going to grow up and be a, like, famous actress and, like, help people. And and in a way, I almost kind of get to do that now with yeah. social media. 
I can, I get to create content. Like today is a big content creating day. And it's like, I, things I've learned in drama are things that I applied to like creating content, like how the camera hits you and just different things that you learn and just like, um, yeah, I, it's, I, I, I get to kind of lean back into that. But drama at the time was not really something that my family did. And I just thought like, I like doing this. I would be good at it. And so I tried it. And I didn't have any education in it. So I kind of flat, like, fell on my face. Like, I was, like, the bottom people on the play. But that's like, what happened. Was- but that's what's weird with, with, uh, with at least me and my, like, alcoholism, right? Like, if I did something and I wasn't real good at it right away or it didn't come naturally, I, I, I would be like, okay, like, this isn't happening. Um, at yeah. least that's how I was. Yeah, definitely. It was. De- it definitely took like the wind out from underneath my sails. Like I just thought, like, oh, I'll just show up and I'll get like a lead role and I'll be totally. And I was like, oh, this is a lot harder than like I'm just used to being the star of the show. I have to actually work to get to that position. So, um, but it was a good experience. I think it. Was, I learned a lot, and I'm glad that I did it. But um, I wish I would have kept leaning into it at that age. But so what it, happens? And- what happens with with like when do you start to drink? Like. These are your formative years. Uh, when when do you remember the first time you, you you drank? The first time I drank was in middle school, and it was just at a girlfriend's house. And she had um, her parents went to bed, and she went and snuck like a cup of vodka, and then we were like mixing it in the soda in her room. So that was my first experience with alcohol, and it was fun. Like we were laughing, we were calling boys, we were like. We didn't want to go across the house to pee in the bathroom, so we had a cup that we peed in the closet. And we thought we were hilarious, and it was there wasn't it, it wasn't like it was a, it was a good experience, first time experience. And I didn't drink again or start drinking more consistently until like uh, probably junior senior year of high school. Um, but that was my first experience was was in that in middle school. How did you evolve as a, a young kid? I know you've been transparent about the fact your parents had got divorced, and I think that has more more of an effect on uh, on people than than we. I think it's become so normal in our society, right? Divorce happens a lot, but regardless of how often it happens, it has the same impact on young people and the kids involved. What was that like for you? Um, I think that the timing for me was was the biggest factor is I was in that um, transition period of, of middle school age where I'm not a kid anymore, but I'm not like a teenager. And you're, there's so many like hormones at that age and um, puberty and all that stuff happening that I think that I, I think my parents handled it the best that they could have. I don't think that they did anything abnormal or did anything to like caused trauma on me during that time but I think that just the time period I started to be a lot more aware of my friends and if they liked me started to be more self-conscious if they liked me and then I had this happening at home and at the time not a lot of people in my life had divorced families so I didn't really have any friends to kind of turn to about it and um, I remember being very dramatic about the whole thing, but I think that it was just the timing of that, like puberty age of of transitioning to be like, well, now what's gonna what's my life gonna look like for middle school and high school? And um, so I I probably took it the hardest out of the three. I know my sister was pretty upset at first, but she was like a junior. Well, she was she was in high school, so she was almost out of the house. So were you guys, by the way, any, any, any alcoholism in your family or any problematic drinking that you saw or, or, or you've been able to discover since you've gotten sober? Since I've gotten sober, um, I have other family members that have also gotten sober. And nobody was to the extent that I was. Um, it might have just been like they just didn't like the way that it was making them feel anymore, where I got to the point of like having vodka in my water bottles at work. <laughs> so <laughs> I, was, I was definitely the extent extremist but yeah there is i have i have family members cousins um i have um on both sides that are open um to about their their recovery as well and and um and yeah so definitely family history that i kind of knew about but since getting sober i definitely have found more people in my in my lineage that have struggled that's uh, how it's similar for me, at least, uh, when I got sober. I, you, you start to, at least for me, I started to open my eyes to other people 
um, in my family. I was like, oh, that's what happened to my my cousin Dick. You know, that's that or Stephen. Mm-hmm. That that's that's what went down. So when you start to sort of to drink, like you're obviously an achiever. Um, your parents are divorced, uh, and and you start to drink. Like when you started to drink in high school, because I remember the first time I started to drink. I always say this. I was I was scared to go to the dance in eighth grade. Right, it was awkward. Mm-hmm. I, I felt uncomfortable in my own skin, and I drank in ninth grade, and I couldn't wait to get to the dance. I couldn't wait, and mm-hmm. that is how it affected me. Did it have a similar effect on you? Yeah, definitely has that ability to silence those insecurities and um, fast track. You know, kind of overcoming the the fear of those moments. A or, quick fix. Uh, yeah, like super, and it, and as, at that age when we don't have like the the fully developed brain to be like, no, I can work through this and get through this. Um, it's it's super convenient to just be like, I'm gonna just drink this and I feel good. I'm laughing. I'm happy. I get to be silly and whatever. And if I go too far with saying something, if I go too far with acting crazy, I can just blame alcohol for it. So it was definitely a safe route. Did you notice, like, did any of your friends notice that you, that you liked drinking more? Did you notice that you liked drinking more than the next person? I did notice that I like drinking more, and I just thought they were boring. <laughs> like, <laughs> why don't you guys like to drink as much? Um, my my boyfriend through high school, we drank together, so it was we had that that together. So it wasn't like I was constantly looking for people to drink with. I always had him as a drinking buddy. But we definitely drink more than other people in our class. Did you start to hang out with people like that weren't like, did you kind of morph? Did you notice that your crowd was more of a drinking crowd? Like, because when I got to high school, I definitely had a group of guys that I was tight with. Uh, but we all were, were pretty hardcore. Oh, yeah, I definitely didn't. I was bored with people that weren't partying. So we hung out with a lot of people that were older than us, already graduated. Um, and just people that that was their lifestyle because that seemed fun to us at this time what is your life looking like from the outside even because i'm sure like even i mean i know that i was having a blast uh, but mm-hmm. i did start to notice some stuff that i just totally you know silenced um in my head i was like nah it doesn't you know this this drinking thing is a gift you know you definitely don't want to stop it um, and from the outside, my life probably looked okay. Like you, you were still achieving, right? Everything's going, going well. I, I'm assuming going into college. Yeah. So through high school, I had a lot of responsibilities, um, being in a small town, my parents were both teachers, like I said, so they, they had all my teachers on, on company or like on, on, uh, district email. So it was really <laughs> easy for people to keep tabs on me. So it wasn't like I was ever sneaking out of class or skipping class um i was i didn't like to disappoint my teachers i didn't like to disappoint my parents and so i was the good student did everybody in your small town i want you to be honest did everybody know who you were because you got a big personality okay. your parents were involved in, in in coaching and teaching so was there an accountability there oh yeah huge accountability there you didn't want to let anybody in the town down like you as a as a especially as an athlete in a small town i would go to the grocery store and people would be like hey good game on saturday like people i didn't even know that were watching the high school game so um yeah you you're definitely feel like like a you're a big fish in a small pond definitely why didn't a, you why didn't a, you play or did you play sports in college no i was supposed to play basketball in college um and just financially it just didn't make sense i needed to work so so, uh, so I you, yeah I, I i was assuming so so you go to college you go to central washington is that right that's where i went for my first year yeah and what happened so what is the college experience like for you are you still dating the boyfriend um yes that's for the kind of off and on <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i get that yeah so so you go into college you're you're off and on again with the guy and yeah. how, how does your drinking? Cause for me, I kind of had the same deal. My mom and my dad were, they were just kind of on me and I was like having some success. Like you were like with sports and stuff. So partially I got a pass, but another partially, like I had to be somewhat accountable cause people would talk and mm-hmm. I got to college and school was out, even though I was still kind of, I had some responsibilities with sports and stuff, but I was, 
I mean, when I realized I could drink during the day and all that, I was like, wow, this is crazy. W what was your experience like? That was very similar, except for I didn't have the sports to help keep me accountable. But you, you show up to college and you have all the freedom and zero accountability. You have to just hold yourself accountable. And for me, that was just like not possible. And so I started drinking. Um, I ended up getting alcohol poisoning within the first month of college. and. Um, going to the hospital and um, what's the situation? Having, are we are we doing drugs at all at this point? Um, at that point, yes. That weekend before I got alcohol poisoning was the first time that I had done cocaine. So, and what did um, that? What was that like? Oh, that was also awesome. Everything was so much fun. <laughs> first. <laughs> totally right. The first time I did cocaine, so I was like, I'm gonna do this every day. <laughs> It's hard to not to tell people not to do it. So like, it was fun at first. Like, well, it, it, um, so with cocaine, it was something that like alcohol was my drug of choice. Like that's what I like doing. Cocaine helps me continue drinking alcohol. So it would keep you kind of like sober me up. Let me keep going through the night and keep the party going. Um, the, but I, I mean, when they tell you in middle school that that first time it's never going to be like that again is a hundred percent true because every single time I had done it after that was a little less fun and a little bit more paranoid, a little less fun and a little bit more anxious, a little bit less fun. And like, it, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then the come down kept getting worse and worse and worse where, um, that, that was, it, it was, it was not worth it anymore. So, and it sounds like by the way, you, you have your first, you're, you're having like your first bender, right? Like you're up for a while, your body's just, your body's mm -hmm. ready to get knocked out. And then you drink, uh, I, I'm guessing to uh, obviously to in excess. Um, and then mm -hmm. you have alcohol poisoning. I've, I've, I don't know that I've ever like officially had that. What, what is that experience like? Um, well, I was blacked out. I was in the dorms. And I was drinking with some people in the dorms and um, we were in one of the guys halls and I passed out in the bathroom um, downstairs. And so they, a girl comes into the bathroom, finds me in the bathroom, passed out. I don't remember any of it, um, but they call 911 and then they come and I just remember being on the stretcher and them asking me how old I was. And I was like, not old enough to drink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you're already like kind of a wise ass, right? Oh, yeah. So I was like, oh, well, at least my personality was still there because I remember <laughs> saying that. <laughs> um, but yeah, but then I went to the hospital. Um, my sister came and they um, hooked me up to an IV. I was there for, I think, a couple hours. I don't remember the whole thing, but they ended up releasing me later that night. And I went to um, stay at my sister's house but I had mom and dad both calling and worried about me the next day. Um, and that was a little bit of accountability, kind of like, okay, if I'm going to try and be a party animal, I have to at least not get caught. So it, <laughs> yeah, That's total alcoholic it, mind, right? Right. Yeah. It wasn't like I need to stop doing this. It was like, I need to not do this. I need to, if I'm going to, I need to do this so that people don't know that I'm doing it. We'll get back to this conversation in a second, but right now, a word from our sponsors. The world looks different behind the handlebars of a rad electric bike. Grabbing takeout looks less like greasy styrofoam boxes and more like a cross-town adventure. Ride shares look less like piling into the back of a car and more like grabbing fresh air with your friends. And commuting can even start to look like the best part of your day. That's because with Rad, the world is what you make of it, not what it makes of you. See for yourself with a 14-day free trial. Find your fun at radpowerbikes.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. That's the sound of another sale on Shopify. The moment a business dream becomes reality. Shopify is the commerce platform revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. They simplify selling online and in person and provide 24-7 support so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash offer 22, all lowercase. The all-new Chevy Colorado is made for more. 
Stacked with the latest in-vehicle technologies like a class-leading 11-inch diagonal center touchscreen and an extra-large wireless charging pad. Plus, it features wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto compatibility to make staying connected easy wherever your adventure takes you. Chevy Colorado. Made for more. Learn more at Chevrolet.com slash truck slash Colorado. Claims based on latest competitive data. And so how does it continue from there? So um, the first year of college was just um, really bad. Like just, I continue, I continue going to school. I passed all my classes. I did well, but I um, was drinking heavily throughout the whole year. And so you were, you were uh, always that girl getting good grades. I mean, you became uh, an, an established accountant. Uh, so you got your yeah. CPA. So you're an achiever. Yeah, I, yeah, I learned, I, I don't really know if I'm smart. I feel like what I'm good at and why I'm good at maybe social media is I'm good at reading people and what they want from me. So like, it was always about what does that teacher want? What is that teacher going to test me on? What's that? Like so much of school was not about me wanting to learn about accounting. It was me learning the teacher on what they want me to know. And so that's what I did is I studied the teachers (laughs) Well, that's, I think you're, you're underselling it. That's actually smart. Uh, so you got to give yourself some credit, but so you're still getting good grades, but, uh, you know, it's a nightmare, right? You're drinking all the time. Are you dating anybody? Um, so that first year, the the high school boyfriend and I had broken up, but then the second year, which is when I was going to go play basketball, I went to, he was at Wenatchee. So I had gone to Wenatchee and I was going to play basketball there. Wenatchee? Yeah. Okay. So Wenatchee is a, um, there's, it just has a community college. So I went from a university to a community college, um, thinking that if I was playing basketball, that could help. And if yeah. I was back with the boys, help. Um, but it was just the same stuff. It, I did finish my AA there. Um, I didn't end up playing basketball just because financially, like I said, that they just couldn't, I couldn't get enough of a scholarship to not be able to, to, to not work. Yeah. I needed to play pay all my bills so um that so you're a hustler i mean you're working you're in school you're getting good grades but you're just this other part of your life did you feel like alcohol uh and drugs were like something you needed to survive all the stress you were you were dealing with i i felt like yeah it just became such a crutch like it just I, actually when actually was the first AA meeting I had gone to because I had woken up um, while dating the boyfriend I woke up at somebody else's house with like half naked don't remember how I got there where I was what happened and I was just like I like I can't keep doing this so my first AA meeting was in that year at Wenatchee um, and you went yourself you were like yeah. I'm going yeah and I didn't say a word. I sat. I think I. I think I even like just kind of cried in the corner. <laughs> yeah. But Did a lot of people come up to you and talk to you? Nobody said one word to me. I, I. I snuck in. I sat down. I kept my head down, and then I turned around and and left. Um. I don't wow. think that I was fully ready at that time. Um. To really admit to my alcoholism. Um. I see. I here's the thing. I see that as like a huge step because, even though. I mean, luckily nothing horrible happened, right? You didn't die. You still have your, your children. You didn't have any like crazy car accident. Um, and, and that was like the beginning of you. You know, sometimes I, I, that's why I kind of had this podcast. And that's why I think your, your social media presence is awesome. Like sometimes it's just like dipping your toe in, in, in the water. People don't, even, people don't even know. It's like, okay, I'm not ready. That doesn't work for me. But the fact that you had the willingness to walk in there, um, just that action enough, I think that's a huge mm-hmm. deal, you know? Yeah, and I I think that the biggest lesson I've learned throughout the journey of kind of trying to get sober is that I have to be willing to fail. Like, if I want something, I have to be willing to fail because so many people will give up when it's not going their way. And it's like, you'll get there eventually, but you have to keep, like, putting yourself out there. You have to attempt different things. You have to keep just – you have to keep going if you want to get there. And that, that means that sometimes you're – you're not going to be ready or sometimes you're going to get knocked down or um, it, it might not turn out. I wanted to get sober at 21 and I didn't get sober till 30. So it wasn't my game plan, but it, I got there because I kept quitting. 
Yeah, you kept quitting. That's that's a I, I like I like that. So you and you went to rehab for the first time at twenty one. So you go to the AA meeting. Um, and, I go. To the AA, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Yeah, I went to the AA meeting at um, twenty, and then six months after turning twenty one, I put myself in rehab. And so, just from doing some some backstory on on you at the time, you're dating a guy who's sober, and mm-hmm. he's kind of like moving you towards that. Like, hey, like this is a good, like a good way of life. Was he like recovery mm-hmm. sober, or was he just not like not drinking? He was just not drinking. Okay, and and he was he worried about you? Like, hey, you're drinking too much. Yeah, but I also think I wasn't. I don't know if I believed him or if I just feel like because that's what he was. He was pushing that on me. Like, People please. Um, yeah. <laughs> totally, yeah. I get it. Yeah. And so you go to treatment, and what happens? Um, so I think another lesson learned with like, yes, you have to keep quitting, but you also have to keep maintaining. Like you have to keep that maintenance up. Like you can't just mow your lawn once and then you're good to go. Like I, I went as my goal was this was like I'm going to take a break from alcohol, and I'm gonna like once I get alcohol out of my system, I'll go back to school. I'll get my like I'll be fine. I don't have to like this part of my life can be over. But I didn't want to really address like the mental health. I still was super, super um, self-conscious and like self. Um, oh, what's the right word for it? But I was, I was really hard on myself still. Like, had a lot of guilt for things that had happened. I wasn't able to let things go the way uh-huh. I think you need. Really ready to get sober, and um, I kind of, I didn't put in the work to keep up sobriety. I went, I got sober for the 21 days and removed the alcohol from my system and then tried to go back to life. And it just wasn't, and how much longer did you stay sober after that? Well, I got pregnant about um, six months after that, or maybe five months. Um, And I had drank once before getting pregnant and then um, was sober during my pregnancy and sober for a couple months after my pregnancy. Um, So um, probably about a year and a half before I drank again. And so what's that like, by the way, if you're an alcoholic and, and you, you, you get pregnant, like, are, are, did you just, did you know, Hey, like did the motherly instincts, cause clearly you're a good mom. Did the instincts kick in? Like, I'm not, I'm not drinking for the, like what, what, what goes through a woman's mind? Cause I have no idea. Well, I think part of it, for me is that like that need to belong that need to fit in was a big part of my drinking I I wanted to hang out with the people that were drinking I wanted to fit in with that circle and so they're gonna be okay when I'm if I'm pregnant if I have an excuse not to drink so for oh. me it was difficult and it was hard and it wasn't like something that I it was hard for those first little bit to like quit drinking well the first one I was already I was pretty much sober besides that one night um but the second and then the twins, um, nobody was going to give me shit for not drinking the way they would if I wasn't pregnant. Okay. Yeah. So it felt a little bit safer to say no because I had, um, they would approve of it. And so you, 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 so you mentioned you, you go from your first day meeting at, at 20. And, and when did you say you, you really stopped, like when you were 30? Yeah. Shortly after, like a few months after turning 30. And, and over that period of time, you have, you have four kids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so with, with the same guy, like the man you married? Um, no, the first son was with the sober okay. guy that, that I got, went to rehab for. <laughs> and then <laughs> the second, the last, th- the uh, other three are with my high school sweetheart who we reconnected when I moved back to home, um, after getting pregnant. So that's who I married. And, and you guys, and you guys get married and I've, I've heard you talk about, you know, th- this whole time you're stopping, you're starting, you're stopping, you're starting. And the way you say it is really cool. You don't put any blame on him, but you were still in a relationship where you're trying to stop. And this person is still drinking. Uh, and, mm-hmm. it, and it was, was difficult for you. Yeah. What do you do? You, what do you say? Like, when women connect with you, obviously I'm not asking you for all your secrets, but you are out there and you know, you're a sober coach. What do you say to, cause I would imagine, you know, a lot of women listen to this and, and I would imagine that they don't, some of them just don't know what to do. Like, like you're in a, you, you're trying to stop drinking, but you're in a marriage where your husband is drinking. Like, 
How hard is that to, to, to stop and stay stopped? Or, or how hard is it to make the decision that you've got you've to do what's right for you? Um, that was hard. That was probably the hardest part. Um, like I was saying with the pregnancy, when people, when people would accept it, that I was sober and that, um, because I was pregnant, it was so much easier. But when you're just saying like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this lifestyle anymore. And you're not sure how it's going to affect your relationship. Like that codependent on that relationship or codependency on that relationship was really hard to, to break also. I mean, yeah, I'm addicted, I'm addicted to alcohol, but I'm also addicted to like needing a partner. And I think if you are in a healthier space in a less co- a less codependent relationship, you're able to make that decision for yourself and know that that's what's best for you and then continue to work on your relationship separately. For me, they were so intertwined that it was really hard. Like I needed him to come with me or I couldn't do it. And um, I don't think everyone is like that. I think that um, that some people, there's a, actually, I have a lot of people that are in mom groups that their husband still drinks and they are okay with it and they're fine and they're comfortable with it. But I think just the, the habit and the codependency that we had on each other through high school and then getting married and having that, it was really hard for me to, um, I, I, was, I was afraid. I was afraid of if I quit drinking, what happens to us? And if something happens to us, what happens to our family? Like there was just going to be yeah. such a domino yeah, and so it's another excuse like why not to stop and it's a it's a really good one. I mean, cuz at the end of the day you're thinking about your family, but you found the courage to change, which is like why you are, you know, such a a bright light today for other people that are they're trying to get sober. When when you had your rock bottom, uh or or you know, everybody, I had like four, you know, but yours particularly you said was you, you went to, you were, you were drinking at work, right? And people were starting to get a little worried. Like you had your circle of people who knew you drank too much, but then you kind of mm-hmm. like a typical alcoholic, right? You can only control so much. You had a, mm-hmm. a situation at work. What exactly happens there? Yeah. So I had been drinking, um, leading up to going to a work lunch that everyone was going to be able to drink at. But since I was already drinking, it just kind of put me over the edge. <laughs> yeah. And, so I just left work. I didn't tell anyone. I just got my stuff and went home. And, and in that like moment, in that like just the the whole experience was just like this hopelessness of ever getting sober. And I felt like now that they knew, I had no choice but to like run. Like I had to run from this job, like I've done in the past. Like whenever I got like out of control on things. Um, like I would quit jobs all the time because I like was embarrassed about drinking or embarrassed that I didn't show up to work or, um, it was like, I, I have to, I now I have to run again. Like I have to run from this job again and I have to, um, like I was just hopeless. It was like, this is, this is going to be like, I was like, I, what I think of it as like, until this point, I felt like I was eventually going to figure it out. Um, but when I was sitting in my garage that day, it, it just felt like I'm never going to figure this out. So either I'm going to like, how can I be the best drunk mom? Like, what can I do for my kids? Because I'm never going to be able to figure this out. Or it was like, maybe I should just run away from everyone. Like maybe I should just like, they maybe they'd be better off not having me in their life, whether that was like suicide, whether that was running, like physically running away or just like checking out completely and asking like my family to take them for a while. Like I, it was this complete hopelessness of like, there's no com- overcoming it. So how can I best be like, but how could I take care of my kids the best as a drunk mom? Man, it's not even an option to go the other way. Right. Um, and then yeah. you're, you're sitting in your garage. And so what do you do? What comes over you? And then what, what, what's the, what's the move for Gentry then? So I think that the biggest part of, of, why this one stuck was the fact that work knew so um and and not to say that my kids didn't deserve a sober mom at all like they absolutely did but I think that it was now I'm being faced with having to leave this job because I'm going to get fired if I keep doing this or 
like actually getting my shit together so I don't get fired. And I talk about it like uh, like layers of accountability. So like, yes, my, my inner circle knew or like my ex-husband knew I was drinking a lot. My close friends knew I was drinking a little bit more. They might have known a little bit more. My family knew, but they didn't know like the extent of it. And then it was like, now I have a whole other layer of accountability of people that know that I might have a problem. And I think that the more you can build out those layers of accountability, because then I started going to AA and that was another layer of accountability. Like, okay, these people know that I show up here at lunch every day. So if I don't show up, like they're going to start to worry. So I need to make sure I'm staying accountable to them. And, um, then sharing about it on social media was just another layer of accountability outside of the people that are going to co-sign your bullshit because the people in your circle on the inner circles of your life are going to your bullshit. So like the more you can get it outside of that, I feel like the more successful you can be. Where did you find the courage? Like you start to share your sobriety with people outside because a lot of people love AA because it's anonymous. Right. But then, so you go to meetings and then you kind of transition into this, this public world where oh, now, now we're reaching back to the ninth grader that was, you know, taking drama. Like we're, ta- we're tapping back into that, which is honestly in a pretty cool story. It's kind of who you always were. Um, mm-hmm. But you felt like you had to be something else or you felt like you had to achieve and be the, and, and be the, the CPA. And so you, you start to, you start to share about your story. Like, where did that come from? What was that like? Well, I think like what you just said is exactly where it came from is that who I was meant to be, my purpose, my gift. Um, for so long, I felt that my ability to be the center of attention was, was me craving attention, me being too much, me being, um, insecure like needing that and really that's a gift of mine like I am comfortable with the attention of of being out there so tapping back into those things that's like a kid that I dreamed of doing and being was like where I started to really find passion and like a fire to continue to try to succeed in that area like it's like this is what lights my soul on fire and this is what I want to do and now I get to help people as I also get to do the things that I love doing, like creating content and being creative um, and getting to share my journey because I feel comfortable doing that. And not everyone feels comfortable doing that. So if that's the gift that God's given me, then I need to use it. What happens? Like what kind of, you mentioned that fire, you know, what, what did people like, how, what were people like reaching out to you and reacting? How did that make you feel? That I mean, that's huge. And that's another layer of accountability for me is when people are saying you inspire me to to get sober, you inspire me to do this, you inspire me to do that. It's like, okay, am I being as true and authentic to myself? Am I portraying a true, authentic, true, authentic um, reality? Because, you know, like some people on social media can make it really look like they're doing one thing, but they're leaving. Yeah, that's that's the one of the, the most attractive things about about your presence and you is that you know, so much of social media, right? It's like, oh, I need to do a social media detox or yeah, whatever. Like this, this is making me, I'm doom scrolling. You know, I'm thinking about how much my life sucks comparing my insides to other people's outsides. And then somebody like you who doesn't take themselves too seriously, who, who tells us exactly where you're at um, and can give a good message and make people laugh. Um, that is like super important. You know, I think that like there's more, the authenticity you share with that, it had to be hard to to discover that, or maybe it wasn't, I don't know. Um, I think that the more it was, it was not, um, yeah, no, it was hard. It wasn't like, it wasn't impossible. It wasn't like, you know, like some people have real fear, fear and anxiety around that. I was able to share. I wasn't able to share as deeply at first. So my first post about sobriety was extremely like, vanilla is how I describe it it was like I've decided to quit drinking for 90 days just because I want to feel better not like I was in my garage feeling like I wanted to kill myself and I had (laughs) water bottle so it's like it was very very vanilla and so um I think just like building up confidence over time in in myself and in my abilities and in um in my journey just having confidence that like whatever it was is 
in the past and it's now an opportunity to learn and help other people learn and help other people get sober. And it's not something that I have to keep carrying around like this guilt and shame that I had carried around for so many years that was constantly bringing me back into addiction. And so you're on, you know, you're on fire uh, and you're like, I need to, I need to, to, to chase my purpose. Right. I'm, I'm guessing I mean, mm-hmm. you tell me. And, and so how hard is it to transition from here? I am trying to keep up with all the other moms. I got, you know, I'm, I'm an earner. Uh, you know, I got, I'm a, an accountant, but now I'm going to ditch this and go become mm-hmm. a, a, a sobriety coach or a life coach and just completely put myself out there. Well, that's a good question. <laughs> that's was, that's I mean, a hell of a transition. I, I'm sure it didn't happen overnight, but that, yeah, I, I'd imagine no. that comes from your sobriety and just just sharing yourself and and feeling it and moving forward with that. Right, and I think yeah, it didn't happen overnight. It's not like um, I just woke up one day and I'm like, you know what, I should quit my job today. It was um, it was about a year where I was like, you know, I'd really would love to be able to just do this full time. I was doing content creation on the side. Um, I had a couple of reels go viral and just built up a lot of confidence from that. I started getting kind of like some partnerships. Um, and I thought if I was working 40 hours a week doing this, like actually something I'm passionate about, I wonder how successful I could be. So um, I got in a good position financially where I was um, buying a new house and sold my other one and and in the in that process had a payout so I was like okay I have this good cushion let's do it for two years I fail the worst thing is I have to go get another accounting job I've already done that before so um yeah I I think that when you are at a point where you wanted to essentially like die and you are able to overcome that trying to like switch jobs or like like a career (laughs) seems like I could do this. Like I could, I'll figure it out. Like if I can figure out how to get back to wanting to live, I can figure out how to make money. I can figure out how to, um, to, to provide for my kids. Like I, I, I just have a lot of confidence that whatever I put my mind to, I can do because I had, had made that such a big change in my thought process with sobriety that I can do that with anything. Yeah. And, and it's an inspiring story. Part, part of your story is, uh, you know, it's not all unicorns and rainbows, right? The pandemic hits, um, and, and you, and you drank again, like once. And, and I've heard a guy tell me recently, you know, he, he almost wanted to drink again just to see if he had one more like good time. In him. You know what I mean? He's like, I gotta be able to go back sober for a while. Um, and you are sober for like a couple years and you kind of build this case, right? Like, like at least that's what I do. I can like convince myself why I can do X, Y, or Z. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and, and you, and you drank again. Right. And so how does that go down? I mean, how does like, like explain to people, because I love the way that you say, you know, I think a lot of times and I'd love, look, I'm a 12 step dude. AA is like, I, 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 that's just kind of what works for me. It's not kind of, it is. But there's a ton of different ways to do this. And I think one of the things, even in the, in the sobriety community that I want to smash or, and get with people like you and help to smash it is the shame. Like if people go out and drink, like just, just come back. You know, like it doesn't matter. People, get, people do get real carried away, in my opinion, about time and days and all that stuff. Uh, and, you know, your story kind of speaks to that. It's like, okay. You drank, and so what happens when you drink? By the way, it's always good to hear what happens. What happens when when we go back out? Um, it was like so much fun. No, it was not. It was, <laughs> it was, um, it, we, we I ended up fighting with the people in the house that night. I stepped on a nail, had like a big cut in my foot. I um, was crying. I woke up super sick. Um, it was not fun it was not fun at all but um I think that yeah like I when I got sober I really had to accept letting go of that guilt and shame and so when I had my lapse because I don't like to call it a relapse I feel like people people make lapse into relapse by by just by by 
collecting that guilt and shame again. Like, oh, now that I drink, I have to make this into another two month binge. And you don't. Um, um, you can just be like, you know what? I, I, I'm going to let this one go the way I've let everything else that I've done in my past go. And um, I had this lapse and um, realized I'm, I'm still not a good drinker. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized that I put two years into being sober, into changing my mindset, into um, being like healthier mentally, physically, all the things that one night does not get to take away my sobriety. I still use my original sober date as my sober date. I just, I don't feel like I can, like those two years don't count because I drank for one night. It's like they absolutely do um, to me and, and everybody else can see that differently. But yeah, I, I, see so many people that they're so focused on the timeline that they're not focused on the work that they're putting in in that time was it was there a point this is like what march of like 2020 i guess where right is that right like around that ballpark right yeah, yeah. so was there a point when after you drink that night the next morning when you're like i'm like fuck it i'm just gonna keep drinking and like was there a moment when you're like wait a minute this is a lapse like i'm not gonna let this own me there absolutely was that moment I got, I left the house the next morning feeling super guilty, feeling all that shame, feeling like now that I've drank, it's just, I, this is just, we're back, we're back on this ride. And I went to a gas station. I bought the things I used to buy, Mike's Hard Lemonades and just different things that I used to always drink. And I went home and then I put them on the table. I was feeling awful because I had gone two years without poisoning my body. Um, so physically you're and, just like, ah, the next morning, right? Right. So, yeah. Physically super, super sick. Um, but I put the, I put the bag on the table and it's, this is, this is the Mike's hard lemonade. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. The Mike's hard I did actually go to the store to continue the lap to make it into a relapse. And I was like, you know, what? I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I'm just like, I'm, I'm didn't come this far just to feel like shit again. And so I had a friend come and take the alcohol. And um, the next day I added myself on social media again, because that for me is helpful. It's a good layer of accountability and just honesty. It's like, I can't have a sober page and say that, um, and not, and not share that part. I feel like it was important for me to share it just for my own recovery and for also people to know that like, okay, I had this night and then I let it go and I didn't continue it. And you have that toolbox that you have developed over time that you can go right back into. Yeah. And it's, and people might think that is like, well, why wouldn't you just drink every year? Or every Well, cause it wasn't fun because yeah. <laughs> I learned it fun. Like, it's like a, if you could just start and stop. It's like I can't really start and stop. I, it was yeah. A that's that. That's that. Like nine, ten years you shared with us, right? Like that's and you and and you come at the end of that, you're you're hopeless and you're thinking about you know going off the grid or you're wanting off the planet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah, where so it takes it me to. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it's not like something I wanted to continue doing. I did it and it was it was not fun and. Uh, it would it'd be different if I went back and it was fun. And I'm like, man, maybe I should try to do that more often. It was like, I went back and it was not fun. So, um, it, and I felt horrible. I, mentally, I felt horrible. Physically, I felt, felt horrible. And I just, I didn't want to continue it. I was like, no, let's get back on, let's get back on track. And, and so that's what we did. So you're back. I mean, like you're, you're on track, you know, back. I mean, this is, this was years ago, but, um, back, I'm going to just backtrack around that time. Are are you like, uh, cause for me, like, you know, drinking and, and relationships always went hand in hand. Like when, mm -hmm. when women approach you and they're like, how do I, how do I date? How do I do this without drinking? What, what is your, you know, what, what do you tell them? Oh, it's so much more fun to do it. Not drinking. Cause I just feel like you're so much, you, you, the more you do those things without alcohol, the more you appreciate the ability to um, to handle them. And you appreciate the ability to know that like anything you're saying or anything you're doing or anything like, like, like a lot of women might like get a couple glasses of wine in them and end up having sex with someone. And they wouldn't have done that if they weren't drinking. It's like you, every decision that you make is with a clear head. So if you want to do that, that's fine. But 
but if you get to do it with a clear head, you don't have to have that like guilt or shame or wonder if I was just doing that because of alcohol or I didn't, I know I didn't really want to do that, but I ended up doing it. So I don't, it's just so much more, there's so much more confidence in being able to do things sober because you know, you're making that decision. Yeah. And, and, and uh, I like when you said, this is why well, I, I don't, I like it. Cause you're, you know, you're sharing recovery. But one of the things you said to, uh, when you were talking to Casey Scott was that you, you were with a guy and cause I've been in this exact position and you guys are both drinking a lot. You're drinking more than him. And you're like, why can't we just, maybe we can get sober together. Like that is the most exhausting shit in the world, right? Like over, <laughs> like maybe we can stop together or maybe it's like, and now here you are with a, a full heart and a clear mind being able to put yourself out there, find, find out what you like for me too. I stunted. I mean, I it was arrested development, right? I mean, I'm still like a, like a, 18 year old, you know, or like whatever, you know, I'm still like a, a, a big kid. Uh, I'm still learning every day because I started to drink when I was 13 and everything I did was behind that, you know, all the confidence, all the relationships, all that stuff. And it's fun to explore and to figure out who mm -hmm. you are and to figure out who, who you want to be with. But, um, man, I don't, I do not miss being like somebody being like, you need to stop or maybe we can stop together. Like that's the most mm -hmm. exhausting shit in the world. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely has to be something that you're choosing to do for you. And, and it's like, it's like swimming in the ocean and trying to pull somebody else with you that doesn't want to come. It's like, you gotta, you gotta just swim to the lifeboat and then, and then figure out if you can help them or not, because you can't, you, you can't force someone to do something they don't want to do. You got to decide if you want to get to that boat or not, um, just on your own. So a couple, a couple more things before I let you get onto your day. Cause I know this is a big, you said this is a big content creating day. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm doing some content today. <laughs> so, all right. So I don't like to wear makeup every day, so we. <laughs> so I'm gonna put makeup on. <laughs> so, so, oh, so you'll you'll post you, you'll you'll film content and then share it throughout the week. Yeah, yeah, I I bat stuff just with the with the boys. It's so much easier just to record like ten reels at once, um, whether at school versus trying to do them every day. <laughs> so this has got to be. So you put out some, and and again, like the intro, I'll talk about this, but now I want to talk a little bit about this. You put out some great content. Do you feel pressure to continue? Is there like a bar, like a, like a comedian who now does a whole tour? Uh, now he's got to come up with new stuff. Like, how, is there pressure to doing that? Um, and where does those like where does that creativity come from? Oh, the, well, is there is there pressure um, at times? Yeah, let's go I, to the pressure part because you've set a pretty high bar. Um, what, like, like, so is there pressure to come up with more content? There, there is pressure at times. I mean, a lot of the content, um, I, I'm inspired by other content creators. So you can kind of do a spin off of somebody else's stuff that fits your niche. So, um, obviously in like the sober single mom kind of vibe and, um, it, it, it's not necessarily like the, yeah, there is a pressure to come up with content and stuff, but I've, I've gotten better about not putting a lot of pressure into everything doing well so like i'm yeah. gonna just create what i think is what i think will fit my niche and if it if it doesn't do well it doesn't do well and we just move on to the next thing so i mean um, what is well for you you have like a like like hundreds of thousands of followers like what you know if i put something up and, and i have like 80 likes i'm like i think i'm gonna take it down like this, <laughs> you know you're in a whole other stratosphere um I will I don't know like <laughs> I most of my content is video so most of it's real so um like I have a couple months or a couple months like last month um I had a reel hit seven million views and it's really hard to follow up that like you're just yeah. like you're not gonna have every reel hit seven million views so some of them do better than others and you just kind of like oh that's cool now that one's doing well let's like we just got to keep creating content though is, is um, that so is I, that real like like is that mind-blowing for you that like and, and and again i think it's so great that you're you're putting out positive energy and positive content but is that mind-blowing for you that that seven million people have watched something that you created from your, your living room yeah it it is insane sometimes because i'll think like um like I'm not 
I'm not getting enough views and not getting enough, whatever. Like I'm trying to like build this thing. And then I'm like, uh, like you, like you look at your history and I have my very first reel that went like really viral. I had one hit a million, um, um, when was that? Like a fall, like two years ago. But then, uh, in 2021, I had a reel hit 14 million and it was just like, holy crap. Like that is so many people. Um, but it, it, yeah, it, it, but it's also like really, encouraging to just keep creating content but like i said like i can't put a lot of pressure on every reel doing that but like like if i have a reel go viral or do something that's doing really well just being okay that there might be some reels that only get fifteen thousand views um and and not put so much pressure on trying to to make every reel a viral reel um i think just as a content creator that's a good tip for anyone that's a content creator out there is just keep creating content that fits your your vibe and your brand and um some of them are gonna hit home runs and some of them aren't and you don't you don't even know like the one that hit seven million i just recorded really randomly in my car so that was stuck in traffic and i was like oh wow i wasn't planning on that one being uh, so successful but so yeah there you have to kind of like not put too much pressure on yourself otherwise you will get those creative blocks like if you're like i have to have another one um, that's just as good as this one. It's like, no, it doesn't have to be just consistent. It just has to be. How, how do you deal with people that, I mean, you're on social media. Do you read replies? Do you read? Cause people can be negative. I mean, like, like, how do you, how do you handle that? This Cause it's kind of like on a much bigger stage when you get sober, things are, feelings are real, right? We have these feelings mm-hmm. like, Oh, like how, how do you, how do you deal with those feelings of like, Oh man, like, cause again, I'm like, I'm out there um, with my work and stuff, and I want people to like what I'm doing. How how do you deal with people um, that that are coming at you negative? Well, I I put like that comment as a, a like mirror up to myself. Like, if it bothers me, then it's something that I'm saying to myself. If it's something that doesn't bother me, that means I'm secure in that area. So, like my friend gave a really good example of this that um, he was watching a speaker speak and he was like, like given the like four people in the, in the front row saying like your blue hair is just so ugly. I hate your blue hair. It's awful. And then just going to each of them saying something about their hair color. And they're like, does that bother you? They're like, no, I don't have blue hair. So the people didn't have blue hair. So it didn't bother them. So that's like, if somebody tells me I'm a bad mom and I don't believe that I'm a bad mom, then that comment can't do shit to me. <laughs> so it's like, I don't think I'm a bad mom. So it, it definitely is something that you have to reflect on. Like, why does that comment bother me? Did I think I did bad? Is there something I can improve on that? Cause there's some things that I'm like, you know what? They might have a point, but that's not something that's going to tear me down. That's going to be something now that I can be like, that, you know what? That's something I can work on. And I've had this actually more, I get more offended with like my Airbnbs is when people leave comments about stuff that it's like, maybe they're right. Maybe I need to fix this and not just get super defensive at first. Um, so you have, you have an Airbnb business now? I have, I have two, I Airbnb my, my house and then I renovated my rental house um, this summer. Airbnb. <laughs> Look, you're getting like humble. So when people complain about that, that's like, oh, okay, let me see. That's, and honestly, it sounds like, um, look, whatever you're into, 12 steps, chasing your purpose and sobriety, right? Being the sober single mom. It's all about mm-hmm. being honest with yourself, looking in the mirror, <laughs> like what, what is this bullshit? And you know, if you've been at it long enough and you're coming from the right place and you're surrounded by the right people, you know if something's real and you need to take a look at it or if it's complete hogwash. And most of the time, it's BS. Right. All right, so you're, yeah. you, you're, are, are you, you're a life coach or a sober coach? Um, I'm both. So both. Um, my certificate is um, a professional recovery and life coach. So I'm able to work with both, both I mean, anybody. But I, um, I really like working with people that are – wanting to like really transition their life, like where they feel stuck. They need some help setting goals. They need some help um, creating new habits. And I'm actually building a course right now that's going to be out in October about this so that um, people that can't afford to work one-on-one with me are able to go through like the step-by-step guide on how to create healthy habits to make you um, more successful at 
your goals, goal setting, and then just kind of finding more joy in the journey. Where can, where can people find this? Like, is it just follow at life with Gentry, like TikTok and Instagram, or is there a specific yeah. website? I, um, you know, that's a good point that I probably should get something where people can be on email list for it. But right now, if they just follow me on, um, Instagram at life with Gentry, it's going to be in my stories when I'm ready to launch. So right, launch is set for mid October. So if you're following me, you're going to see, um, content created about it and, um, they'll be step-by-step on how to, how to get signed up. All right. So one last thing, if you have like a, a a woman, young woman, whoever, who's trying to stop drinking, what what, what do you tell if they say Gentry, like they send you, you know, DM, I can't stop drinking. What's your message for them? Well, always quit, quit. There's don't quit quitting. (laughs) It's always like a really good one. Um, I think that a lot of what keeps people stuck is that guilt and shame. And so, um, really reflecting on that and learning to let go and um, just pushing yourself to that uncomfortableness of letting that go and, and just keep quitting, just keep quitting, try different things, reach out to, to different people, but don't stop stopping. Don't quit quitting. Gentry, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I just appreciate you putting yourself out there carrying the message of sobriety and not taking yourself too seriously. You're funny, you know, and, and you're out there and I, and I appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate you having me on here. Thanks so much for listening to the payoff with Pete. Once again, I'm Pete Souza. And of course we are part of the rogue media network, all kinds of good podcasts. You can find at roguemedianetwork.com. And of course you can find this podcast and all those other ones, wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, other spots like that. This has been a Rogue Media Podcast.